0: come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. Welcome to Talk Tank.
1: Hi, you've reached the Talk Tank, the official LSE Entrepreneurs Podcast, where we delve into the minds of those who think, live, and breathe outside the box. My name is Esther, and I'll be your host for today. Today's podcast is part of the Artistpreneurs series, where we steer clear of conventions and turn to the creative-hearted. We tune into the process behind the writers, the performers, and the visual storytellers. Do they confront us with reality or allow us to escape from it? Today we're speaking to photojournalist Gadir van Lohuijzen, who's joining us from his boat in Amsterdam. Gadir has been traveling the world for his esteemed documentary project since he was 25, covering conflict, political unrest, natural disaster, and environmental issues. For his most recent project, he traveled through the Arctic for a year with fellow NOR photographer Yuri Kozirev, documenting the consequences of the climate crisis. Welcome, Gadir, and thank you for making the time. It's great to have you on.
0: You're welcome.
1: Um, I understand that you were supposed to be working on a project in the North Pole this summer. What have you been up to instead?
0: It's been uh, rather complicated since uh, COVID-19 hit. So uh, yeah, all uh, all my projects and travels and exhibitions and, uh, and workshops uh, have been cancelled since, more or less. So uh, I was indeed uh, supposed to to work last summer in the in the North Pole region uh, together with my. Uh, colleague Yuri Kozirev from NOR. We've been working in the region uh, before, the the year before, uh, basically where he was covering uh, the Russian Arctic and I was uh, covering the the Western Arctic. Uh, So looking from two sides, uh, how, well, basically how the climate crisis uh, is impacting uh, the region and uh, and impacting uh, the Northern Hemisphere as a whole. So... uh, Yeah, COVID-19 uh, stopped me from traveling there because of the travel restrictions so uh, unfortunately uh, yeah, this, uh, this uh, couldn't happen and uh, since it's, uh, the project is very much about uh, climate crisis uh, it's necessary for, for us to, to, to travel in the, in the Arctic summer, which is obviously still relatively short. But uh, yeah, we are planning uh, to still do so. So for me, it's gonna be next year. Uh, Yuri uh, was in a more fortunate uh, position uh, in the sense that uh, although Russia was in a lockdown as well and the borders were closed, he could still uh, travel within Russia. So he, will, he was able to, to make several trips to the Russian Arctic uh, last summer and uh because he's living in the biggest country in the world and I'm living in one of the smallest he was in a in a fortunate position in that sense
1: okay so how how did you spend your summer instead
0: well i've been uh i mean the 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 rules last summer like most in the most of the countries in europe were were a little less strict so i could uh I just, I still did some teaching and uh, I was uh, able to give some le- lectures, but it was all like in the vicinity of the Netherlands. So I was in Austria and Switzerland and, uh, and Poland. Yeah, other than that, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's it's been hard. I mean, uh, I'm I'm usually traveling like seven seven months a year. So I suddenly find myself at at home, which I don't think uh, has happened for such a long time since uh, since I was uh, eighteen but i did use my time also uh, to to research a new project uh, which i'm currently embarking on and uh, and luckily that can start in the netherlands so uh, while awaiting to uh, for the for the world to open up but uh, yeah obviously it's taking um, maybe we knew that it would take a long time uh, the corona thing but uh, yeah we were maybe hoping that it would slowly open up by now but it looks like uh, the opposite is happening
1: I understand. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the project that you're researching?
0: Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, my last project uh, was uh, apart from the Arctic was also a con- continuation of uh, of a previous project, uh, which is uh, which is about the rising sea level. Um. So it was a project which I worked on much earlier, basically from 2011 to 2015 uh. and it's got like revived because uh, I produced a television st- uh, series for Dutch public television on, on the same issue. So that was only recently concluded and uh, while I was working on that project I was working also on a project where I was looking into how waste is managed uh, or mismanaged in the six major cities in the, in the world. And in all these projects, uh, it became quite apparent uh, how big the issues are sometimes are what we consume and how we consume. So basically, where do we grow our food and, uh, and uh, how do we transport it and where, where do we uh, actually get it from? Was related to the to the project of the sea level because many coastal areas are uh, becoming inundated more often. Uh, so people have a problem uh, to to farm because the the soil is getting saline So there's a real issue there. Yeah, basically it's it's a project where I'm visually in, in investigating um, food and where we are getting it from and how we produce it and and what actually should change because I think. COVID-19 made it quite clear that, uh, that we have to do this differently and what's very remarkable and makes it interesting as well to start in the Netherlands is that although this country is very tiny, it's the second food exporter in the world. So uh, second food producer in the world, which is uh, quite hard to believe for, for such a uh, tiny country where at the same time we are exporting 80% of our food so most of what we consume in the netherlands although we we grow it or, and we produce it so often next door is being imported so um yeah the 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 story is very much uh, connected to uh, to a pandemic like covid-19 because uh, that's very much about uh, our food and where we're getting it from and yes up till recently uh, epidemics uh, would stay with the cows or the chickens and and would never jump on to uh, to human beings and this time it did and i'm afraid this is not going to be the last time unless we uh, radically change our habits
1: i understand sounds very relevant we will have to stay tuned for more um before i ask you more about your projects i want to go back to your early years your childhood how has your family or your childhood defined what you do today
0: <laughs> good question um my love for traveling uh, I think I uh I inherited that from my uh my parents uh my my father is a city planner and we we used to travel a lot when we were kids and he used to travel a lot for his work as well so um um which was always by train by the way most of the time uh, we, had, we are talking uh, late 60s, uh, early 70s. So that, that definitely kind of well, it, it made me very interested always in, in, in other countries and other cultures. and uh, from a very early age, uh, it was my dream to, to travel the world and, and, and discover the world. So uh, uh, which is a dream for many maybe, uh, but you, you obviously well you need to realize what you're getting into. And how this, uh, uh, and you need to be ready to be alone and to be away for for a long time. And then, uh, photography uh, quite at a quite early age became a became a, an instrument. It became a tool. It became a tool to to tell stories. So um, it was not the photography itself which I learned from my uh, my parents or or where I got inspired, but uh, it it did become. Uh, it did become the way to to tell stories. I mean, I was uh, I was hoping to become a photographer already when I was at high school. I was really intrigued by it and I learned myself to this was obviously the, the time before digital the digital era came. so it was all analog, so I learned myself to process film and, uh, and to print pictures. I had a small dark room in the, in the cupboard of my parents and i wanted to study photography when i uh, did my final exams but unfortunately uh, you had to apply you had to make a portfolio and you had to show up for an interview but uh, unfortunately uh, i was uh, rejected uh, on both quality and uh, motivation that was the end of the of my adventure to to uh, to study photography but after three years or so, I didn't touch I didn't touch the camera for three years. I believe I decided that I might as well learn it myself. So uh, with all all the mistakes and failures I made in the beginning, uh, that's where I am today.
1: So what was the first time that you went off alone, uh, by yourself, to document any story?
0: I went to China and. Uh, uh, this was like mid 80s I think it was 84 uh, I managed to get myself a cheap ticket with the Trans-Siberian Express and I, I managed to get my uh, to, to get into China and that's where I brought my old Nikon camera and uh, and uh, started to shoot but uh, I had no you know I was just traveling I, uh, I was away for five months so um, yeah it was uh, I was just shooting like a like a tourist, but I did manage to get into Tibet, which was at that time uh, very difficult to access. So it was quite very special. So, I that was basically the first story I produced. Uh, there was not really a storyline to it. There was uh, it was yeah it were they were fairly good pictures taken by a tourist. But after that, I had to, get, to, get, to come home. I had to get home somehow. I had a ticket with this Trans-Siberian, as I said, but it was a one-way ticket. And after five, five months, I was pretty broke. So um, I went to Hong Kong to to find work, to earn enough money to get a ticket back, uh, which, uh, which I did. And uh, that ticket was through Manila, the Philippines. And when I arrived in the Philippines, the revolution started there because uh, the the president at that time was Marcos. He was a dictator, and uh, people uh, rose up and uh, tried to uh, to bring him down, in which they uh, succeeded in in the end. And um, uh, I documented this, and this was my real first pictures to be uh, to be published.
1: So then you ended up going home. Um, I remember if I remember correctly. This involved you starring in a movie as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, starring uh, is maybe not a proper word, but I when I uh, when I was in Hong Kong, I, I had two jobs. One one of them was uh, uh, to get uh, backpackers into uh, into the hostels, uh, and I would get the percentage. So I had to wait uh, when they would arrive with the airport bus and uh I would seduce them to go into some of the hostels and they would give me a percentage but the other uh my other job was that I was an extra in uh, Jackie Chan movies they were looking for a white guy and uh there were not many at that time so uh that was my uh, my early career in the movie industry which also stopped there <laughs>
1: So, I mean, you've done countless projects since then. Um, can you tell me about your favorite project that you've done so far?
0: Well, that's a bit of a difficult question. I don't know if there's a favorite project, but uh, you know, I mean, I'm in the in the nineties. Uh, I I became like a full time photographer. I would say in nineteen eighty eight, uh, when I covered the first intifada, the first Palestinian uprising. Uh, after that, I I covered uh, I covered a lot of conflicts, uh, mainly in Africa, and, uh when the wars were still going on in uh, in Zaire at that time, in Angola, Sierra Leone. I covered the transition from um, from apartheid to democracy in uh, in uh, South Africa. So they were, you know, I mean th- those were stories, and they were published in general quite well, but they were although I could stay somewhere for for a considerable amount of time it was just a relative short story so it was only like in I think it was the late 90s that that I or early 2000 when I really started to focus more on projects which were uh, spanning a longer period of time and uh, one of the first ones was on the diamond industry so I don't know if it's my favorite project, but it's one of uh, my favorite uh, projects because it was really I was able to, in the end to really show how this whole industry is uh, is operating. Uh, I basically followed the diamonds from some of the African mines in Angola, Sierra Leone, and in, uh, in Congo to the consumer markets in Europe and um, uh, in the U.S. And uh, yeah, I mean it it. It's obviously great if, 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 if you can do a project uh, like that, but it also I think it, uh, it, it kind of was impactful because I don't think it was done before and that's obviously very important in my work as a, as a photojournalist that, uh, that the stories I do, that they, they are quite unique in, uh, uh, and not seen before.
1: How did you get access in all stages of the Diamond Project?
0: Well, access is obviously the uh, the biggest necessity, probably for the work I'm doing, because you know I'm uh, i uh, it's visual proof. So if I don't get access and I, I cannot take the images, uh, it's it uh, I'm, yeah I'm failing. You know, which is different if you are a writer uh, because you can interview different people and they can be witnesses or they can give testimony so it's 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 different in that sense i really need to be there i have to see it i have to witness it to to be able to uh to um to photograph it and uh yeah talking about this project that was uh that was a real challenge because uh often uh, if people are happy to see you uh and uh, they're happy to be photographed it's a lot easier than people when people are very reluctant so Probably needless to say is that in the diamond industry a lot of people uh, were not particularly waiting for my presence and to show what uh, what was going on because uh, often it was quite shady. What helped me was that uh, that I covered those conflicts uh, some of the conflicts in Africa before and often those conflicts were related to the diamond industry. It was uh, often uh, the the fighting was uh, was about control of the of diamond rich areas, so I also had some contacts from back uh, back from those days, um, and otherwise it's just uh, persistence. I mean, um, you need to be ready for uh, for a long haul in the sense that uh, to to get the permission uh it will require a lot of uh, emails and phone calls and uh, and you need to be really persistent and uh, and able to explain who you are what you are doing without uh with and, and and to be honest as well right i mean if i knew i knew already that if i would twist a story to try to get access and it would not be close to the reality what i was doing that i could get into serious problems
1: would you say that gaining access is the biggest challenge of your job, or are there other challenges that you haven't mentioned?
0: It's it is one of the big challenges, obviously. Uh, not not all, you know. I mean, uh, because if uh, you know, to to be a. To be a good photographer, it means that you need to be a good photographer as well, so you need to be able to, to, to take good pictures and you need to have an understanding how to build uh, how to build a story, uh, to, to write a script, uh, to do the research, uh, to know where to start and where to end. So, you know, I mean, and that, that, that makes it different and because it's often being said that everyone is a photographer nowadays because we all have good cameras in our phones now. But it doesn't make you, uh, uh, per se, into a professional photographer or a photojournalist.
1: So what else would you say it takes in this day and age where everyone can be a photographer?
0: Well, it it ain't easy. I I mean, it ain't easy for sure now, but I don't want to... We should not speak about uh, COVID-19 because uh, hopefully uh, there will be a day that this will be over. But, uh, you know, I mean, there, there, there's a challenge that uh, the printer, uh, you know, newspapers and, and magazines, uh, when I grew up, and they still exist, are printed. So, you know, that's uh, how I used to see my work, that it was printed. Uh, now, often, uh, it's online. Uh, the budgets are are often a lot, a lot less, because it's cheap for... Uh, it's possible for magazines and newspapers and outlets and other outlets to get photographic get, uh, material very cheap. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a ph- just a photographer today anymore. I'm, uh, I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, I had to learn uh, myself to record proper audio, to, you know, so it, it, you, you becoming a visual storyteller today is much more than just being a photographer. So it's a challenge but it's also uh, it's also great you know I don't want to be too negative about it because uh, I've learned a lot of skills over the years and uh, sometimes it's really difficult uh, because I'm still on my own right so you are you are supposed to be uh, the author of the work you're supposed to be the producer the editor the researcher so everything which is often another in other walks of life, is are different professions. Uh, in my profession, it's uh, it's often one person.
1: I understand. What would you say is your favorite thing about your job? What brings you the most joy?
0: You know, I mean, uh, it's it, it, there are several things. You know, I mean, it's uh, my camera has my passport. For, first of all, you know, so because of my camera, people grant me access. They are willing to speak to me. They they're willing to. To share their life with me, I'm often witnessing uh, history which is uh, which is amazing in itself. It brings me to places uh, where where often other people would never go to. So to work in the Arctic uh, is uh, is really special and um, and and it's just great. And it's uh, you know I mean if you if your stories can have an impact, it's uh, it's really that's why I'm doing it right I'm I'm doing this because I want uh, my work to be seen as many possible by as many people as possible again I mean sometimes it's difficult because it can be frustrating because you can't get the access Uh, it can be frustrating because uh, you 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 know it's financially is a challenge often Uh, but what and it's it's lonely sometimes, I'm on on the road most of the time by myself but uh, it it always against uh, what's positive about it.
1: Going off the beaten track I imagine doesn't come without a risk Um, and I imagine some of the areas or conflicts you've covered have been quite dangerous. Can you tell me about a situation that was quite a risk?
0: In in my younger years, you kind of feel that uh, that uh, that it won't, won't touch you, you know, and that uh, although you get into different uh, difficult situations in in you you in a you, you're in the front line of a of a shady conflict somewhere, uh, you know you I remember that I always kind of felt kind of protected because of, also because of the fact that I was a photographer, a journalist, so that you are supposed to be not touched, but uh, yeah, over the years I started to realize that uh, that it was sometimes very tricky and risky. Um, you know, I mean, there's a number of colleagues of mine who got wounded or even killed in uh, in their work and you start to realize that you, that you do uh, that you are taking risks and um, and that you have a responsibility there as well not only for yourself but also for your family and friends if, uh, if something happens to you so I mean there have been a, n- a number of occasions which if in hindsight were were quite tricky you know I mean I was nearly kidnapped in uh, in uh, Kashmir I was nearly kidnapped in Colombia I was in the front line in, uh, in Sierra Leone where what I learned afterwards, uh, I was with uh with the army unit uh, who was actually spying, you know, or, or they were actually collaborating with the with the rebels. They were supposed to fight uh, to fight. That the plan was actually that I should not return uh, from the mission. Uh, I was with the. Uh, when i was wisdom so you know i mean uh you you only understand afterwards or or you only understand when it when it was a narrow escape i think it was more the the risk that there's a physical risk that something happens to you but i i also under started to understand that that there's a mental risk because you know i mean i've seen a lot of misery and shit over the years and uh you know no matter who you are it it somehow gets to you and will have an effect on, uh, on you know, who you are and how, how this uh, is mentally affecting you. So, you know, that's also why, um, you know, I'm, I'm still once in a while uh, covering a conflict, but at the same time, I really uh, understood many years ago already that I had to find a balance in, uh, in my work and that I could not only work in, uh, in very miserable conditions, and, uh, because I would, it would have a serious effect on myself.
1: I understand. Um, so, would you say that you've kind of saturated the amount of misery that you've seen?
0: I, to some extent, I think it's true. You know, I mean, uh, I think it's a, it's like a bucket, right, which is slowly, uh, slowly filling up. So, I think if you if you're seeing too much and you're exposed to too long to it, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah there is a point of saturation, so you know. I mean that uh, often uh, comes out when people develop a post traumatic stress uh, syndrome. I don't know if I've suffered from it because, uh, especially in uh, in the earlier years, this was not really defined as such and being recognized as such. But uh, yeah, I, I know a number of colleagues which which seriously were affected. So yeah, I think probably I. S- uh made the right steps uh early enough. I'm still saying, I think.
1: <laughs> That's good to hear. I can imagine that once you go and work on a on a pretty troubling conflict and you come back, it's hard to share your stories with people back home because they haven't seen what you've seen.
0: True. But um I mean the the the, the good thing about my work is that I carry a visual di- diary. So Although it's very difficult to 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 sometimes really explain to people what you've seen and what you experienced, uh, my work ha- helps a lot, but yes, it's difficult to share with anyone how you felt and how how miserable it was or what whatever you saw right um, but the, but the work always helped a lot.
1: What is the biggest lesson that you've learned since you've started? of being a visual storyteller
0: never postpone <laughs> yeah it so- sounds maybe obvious but uh you know it, it, i think when you when you have when you really feel that you have a great idea uh you should pursue it because there's there's always there's always more reasons not to do, to do it than there are to do it because there's always obstacles, whether they are financially or logistically or uh, time-wise, uh, to, to not do it. So I really learned myself that, that if, I have to, if, if I have a good idea, and I believe it's a great story, that I, that I should pursue it. You know, you can think you can do it next year, but maybe something is happening next year
1: you were speaking of wanting to make impact with your stories what is what is it that you hope to change uh what 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 impact do you want to have on society
0: well i don't know you know i mean it's very difficult to measure first of all you know i'm uh, i mentioned the diamond story before which uh, which i felt had some impact but uh, i don't have proof right i don't know I don't know if people bought less diamonds, and, and to what extent it affected the diamond industry. But uh, and obviously, uh, if we talk about today, uh, I think journalism is seriously at risk, uh, which worries me a lot. You know, I mean, I said earlier that 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 when I started, you you were considered as to be an independent force, to be neutral, that uh, journalists should not be uh, should not be hurt or. Uh, uh, hurt or kidnapped or or killed. Uh, today it's different, right? And I think the, the Trump era, it it, ha- it happened before already, but the Trump era definitely didn't help. You know, I mean, people feel there's so you know you you're really, uh, you really be- you uh, it feels like we are becoming targets. Uh, uh, the media, you know, because uh, we are telling fake stories or you know, I mean. Everything is questioned nowadays, and journalism, I believe, is more important than ever. Uh, balanced reporting is uh, is uh, is more important than ever. But I think there's there's uh, something really wrong in our societies. Like in the Netherlands, we have the the public uh, broadcaster, uh, which you know is similar to the BBC. They took their logos off uh, the, uh, a few weeks ago. Because every time they were arriving with their, with their car or whatever, which had the logo of the, of the broadcaster on it, <laughs> the cars would even be attacked or people would scream at them or, you know, which I find, I find it unbelievable that, uh, that we came to this stage. Yeah, you, you can criticize the media, you can criticize some media of uh, how they are reporting. But the fact that journalism is uh, is under attack nowadays in uh, in many, many parts of the world. And this is, so this is not just Russia or uh, where, you know, wherever we might think this happens, but also in the Netherlands and in the US uh, is, uh, I find it very, very worrying. But at the same time, it's, uh, it stimulates me to, to really try to, to, to be balanced in my reporting and to tell the stories which have not been told.
1: So to wrap up, um, I have one final question for you. If you could interview anyone today, who would it be?
0: Personally, I would really like to uh, interview Eva Morales. Uh, I interviewed him uh, back in two thousand and eleven when I was working on uh, on my project about uh, migration in the Americas called Via Panam, and he was at that time he was uh, uh, the new president of uh, Bolivia and the first indigenous uh, uh, president of the continent. Um, not so long ago he was uh, re-elected uh, but he was trying to get another term which was uh, legally not possible and uh, what in fact happened was that there was a coup by the by the right wing and he was ousted and they had to flee the country um, new elections were organized and he was uh, the party of evo morales was, uh, was uh, voted in again, and uh, his colleague became the new president. And recently, he was allowed to uh, to come back uh, to Peru. Um, I would really like to interview him again to to see to speak to him what happened and how he how he views the the rise of uh, of the right wing in, uh, in Latin America. So, um, it will be great to speak to him again.
1: Okay, well, thank you, Gadeer, for all your incredible stories and for taking the time to share them with us.
0: You're welcome.
1: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Talk Tank. See you next week or leave a message after the beep.